Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This is part two of our review of all the films from 2021. And of course, we've already done part one of that. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. That included reviews of the likes of ooh, Godzilla vs. Kong and Mortal Kombat. So lots of fun to be had there. We're jumping in here with our review of Space Jam A New Legacy. Do please enjoy. Well, what about Space Jam 2? As we know, Calvin loves animation. He's all about that Space Jam. So he, of course, will have seen the fusion of uh, Looney Tunes and basketball that we were all clamoring for. Yeah. Is that right, Calvin? Uh, well, no, I spoke to you about it and you said it was awful, so I, d- I didn't go anywhere no, didn't. near it. Didn't you? Someone told me it was awful. I think I said it was surprisingly not that bad. I mean... I- oh. oh. Well, let- let's hear the clip. Ooh. I was going to give you my broad strokes opinion. Before I do that, I'm going to tell you how this film was received generally. Yes, please. It was met with like vitriolic hate uh, by general audiences. Oh, really? You know, a lot of one out of ten, one out of five ratings. Anywhere you look for audience ratings of things. That's a little bit surprising. It's certainly not that bad. Is that just because people think the original Space Jam is good? It's because people are stupid, yeah. Nostalgia, yeah. Yeah, it has 4.4 on IMDb. And so my my broad... That's very, very... For this kind of a film as well, you know, that that is bad. My broad strokes opinion is this is a worthy sequel to Space Jam. Space Jam wasn't a good film. And Space Jam was democracy... Not democracy. uh, Manifest. (laughs) (laughs) Capitalism manifest. Yeah. This is democracy. Is that manifest. what I said in the episode? Gentlemen, this is capitalism manifest. But that that was Space Jam. Space Jam was the nineties run amok out of control. It was a shoe commercial that got funding to be turned into a feature length film. This it, it felt to me like trying to recapture the magic and you're just not gonna do it. This cause Space Jam is not good, but there's something about it. There's a reason it's held on to its place in culture as this weird little nostalgic thing. And and, it, and it's more by mm. look than design. It's just a kind of weird little relic yeah. of the 90s. Whereas this is it's like trying to create that again. And also they're really trying hard. It's like they've certainly at least embraced the animation element of it. That was definitely an improvement. Yes. What I really liked was the briefly toyed with idea of editing the Looney Tunes into classic scenes from the Warner Brothers archive. Mm. But it was it was done really well, you know? It was nice seeing all these classic scenes from films, all, you know, digitally touched <laughs> up on the big screen. Mad I Max, guess you didn't get Furry that. Road. Yeah, well, that's normal. And it was nice having these characters animated in there and having a bit of fun with it. I... I shouldn't have found it as funny as I did, but I really laughed when Austin Powers turned up and <laughs> <laughs> and Sylvester was Mr. Bigglesworth or whatever. It, you know, it, no, Elmer Fudd's Doctor Evil, isn't he? Or they're both, no, he was but, yeah. Me. But that was good fun, and it was inventive, 
All the stuff in the real world is appalling, by the way. It's dreadful, <laughs> badly acted, apart from your Sarah Silvermans who are in there just, you know, doing what they yeah, can. Yeah, she's not exactly good material. acting, is it? It's just, she's just doing... Yeah, it. but <laughs> she's doing a solid comedic performance. Then, basically, King James, LeBron James, gets sucked into a computer like Tron, has an argument with Don Cheadle, who's playing Al G Rhythm, mm. which is the worst name for a character in any <laughs> film ever. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. And Don Cheadle is pouring his heart and soul into his performance in this film. Yes. He is giving it his all. Yes. And it just made me feel really bad for him whenever he was on screen. Because <laughs> he's genu- the only one trying. Got, yeah, I got really <laughs> bummed out. It's like, you're really trying. What did you think this film was going to be? <laughs> Uh, but I do feel like, with all due respect to John Cheadle, uh, perhaps that character needed uh, need an actor with a real, like, a real spark of personality, such as, say, a Jim Carrey, a Will Smith, Robin Williams yeah. would have brought something to that. Do you know what I mean? Like, some, someone who is going to bring something completely wacky to it without being, uh, w- but still understanding the constraints you yeah. need to work within. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to get weirdly positive about the film here because. I was not expecting this to be a Looney Tunes movie. The first Space Jam is a Michael Jordan movie with the mm-hmm. Looney Tunes making cameos in it, really. It's a real Looney... Like, this This is a proper, like, Looney Tunes back in action. It's all about Bugs Bunny's arc, really. He's got quite a lot of story in this film. And they spent a lot of time in 2D hand-drawn animation mode, which I wasn't expecting at all. And... All that stuff that's hand-drawn animation is not only not only good, dare I say great, it's really nicely animated, which I didn't get a sense of at all in the trailers, but the animation is really fluid, properly captures the style of the Looney Tunes while modernising it, that kind of manic, you know, cartoony, elastic energy. Even when they went to the 90s Superman cartoon, and once again, completely captured the essence of that 90s mm. Superman cartoon. And it was just really nice to see it on the big screen. I I, I loved all the animated stuff. And and I genuinely, I, I was having a great time for the, the duration of the film while it was hand-drawn animation, when they were going Until collecting they started the playing team. basketball. <laughs> yeah, then halfway through the film, they start the big basketball match, which is the third act of the film. And then the film stops dead in its tracks and it's awful. And, you know, what happens? They play a game, the computer cheats, but, you know, within the parameters of the rules, it just maxes out all the characters to be super yeah, strong. Uh, then the kid has a change of heart because he loves his dad. They go back to the real world because they, they win the match, is that right? Or they trick Algy Rhythm Something into... Something like that, yeah. Algy Rhythm grooms this child for an hour <laughs> and then, you know, gets angry at him and loses his, his love. I didn't hate this film. I, 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 I was happy to sit through it. I actually enjoyed a lot of it. Uh, so I gave it a 5 out of 10, which I, I think is what I gave the first Space Jam. I gave it a 6. Really? Yeah, because I think it was just, you know... Uh, it's it's a kid's film. I think it's I, really know, it's watchable not film. It's just, yeah, it, is, it was just you know. perfectly whatever film. I also really enjoyed at the start of the film seeing a kid in the 90s playing on a Game Boy and the game they're playing, I believe, is Bugs Bunny in Crazy Castle or something, which was a, a very uh, prolific ga- uh, Game Boy franchise. What I liked about that was this kid just came and was like, oh, I've got a new Game Boy, you can have this. 
And it was like, and it obviously wasn't a big deal to either of them because he chucks it in the bin as a gift. So like, how fucking rich are these kids? Like, I didn't have a Game Boy when I was that age. I mean, that's just rude for a start. But obviously the kid who gives it to him doesn't give a shit. He's just like, oh, do you want this? It's not even like a big deal. Like, Game Boys were a fucking big thing in 1996. Yeah, and a kid that age, you didn't, you know... I was devastated when I dropped my Game Boy Color down the stairs. I remember my... <laughs> Probably the most illegal thing my mum's ever done is I dropped my Game Boy Color down the stairs as a kid and it broke. It just stopped working. And my mum bought a new Game Boy Color from Toys R Us. Put the old put the one old in the box Game and Boy took Color it back. In the box and took it back. And I remember being in Toys R Us for like a long time while she was arguing with the staff to get a refund because they were obviously having none of it. But she did. This has obviously been used for about six months. (laughs) Yeah, it was all scuffed on the back and stuff, but they they gave a refund and, you know, it worked. Oh, dear me. Did she try and send you off to look at, like, games and stuff so that you didn't see her shame? Or did she. uh... I don't. don't, It's really. I don't know why she did that because it's so. Did it change? Did it change your view of your mother? Was that the turning point? No. It's it's weird because that's so out of character for my mum to do. A lot of money. Well, that's it. I think. I think I think we didn't, you know, single parent uh, income. That is that is really weird that she did that. <laughs> it's so <laughs> not something she would do normally. But <laughs> I guess I was really upset. Yeah, needed. She a new had game to boy. get you another one. She had to get a little Solly Boy another Game Boy yeah. Color. I'm trying to think of the most fraud I've ever committed. What about when you got that? Um, you won some sort of subway animation thing. <laughs> what was that? No, I read the rules. I saw a very glaring loophole, and I exploited <laughs> it. They should have written up a better set of standards for who, but it was obviously written up by people who weren't familiar with YouTube. I was, you know, twenty. So did you? Something. Did you actually win? Yeah. What did I got, you get? I got. What did you scam out of them? I got a thousand pounds cash. Woo! I got a PlayStation Three and uh, a game, SingStar game, and a microphone, which I mean oh, nice. I didn't use that. And I think I got something else that I didn't free, care free about. Sandwich. It probably was like twenty quid in Subway vouchers or something. But thousand um, pounds cash though—that's worth that's worth hey, you know selling out for when you're twenty. I've only just traded up from that PS3 this year when I got a PS5. I've been that's my Blu-ray player for the last however many years. That that PS3 has done me well. So yeah, a thousand pounds and a PS3. That thousand pounds, Alan, is probably more or less how I was able to comfortably move down to London with, you know, mm, yeah. you and Sean in the first place. So Oh yeah, oh interesting, yeah, yeah. Calvin, aren't you like you know contractually obliged to see animate uh, like you know at least the large no, scale? No, 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 because it's not. It's it's a rival company. It's Warner. Yeah, I know, but you got to know what everyone else is up to. You got to know what's going on in the in the industry. Svastika. Oh dear. Go on then. What? Introduce part three of the music quiz in French. Okay. Um... C'est part trois, le le quiz musique. Sounded alright to me. Sounds right. Yeah, that that was fairly convincing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's do that. This is another four original songs. So once again, Hmm. point for the song, point for the film, point for the artist. Oh, 
Buzz, buzz. Okay, right. look. I've never heard Billie Eilish, but that sounds like an <laughs> impression of Billie Eilish where he just gasps a lot. Like he's, he's got asthma. Oh, ding dong, it's Billie Eilish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I do have a new microphone, actually, Billie. Would you like to... <laughs> yeah. That's that's a really good song, that, Billy. Is that something you're working on? <laughs> well, it's got number one written all over it, that Ooh. has. So. Sound of the summer, that's going to be. C'est magnifique. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for popping by. <laughs> Big fan. So was that Billy Eilish, then? Not that was Billy Eilish, yeah. Oh, look, she's, she's just... Uh, <laughs> She's just watching The Office on uh, on her phone. <laughs> Stop putting clips in your songs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so was that was Billie Eilish singing, right? No. Oh, damn it. <laughs> well, I might have got that. Okay. I wondered what that was. I thought for a second, I thought Saul had actually replicated a song with Billie Eilish's voice. Um, <laughs> uh, would you want to play the rest of the clip then? Yeah, let's, guessing. let's say the rest of it. In my name, there is no life I treat. You are my reason to remain. And I will remain through comfort and pain. It's not um from that Aretha film, is it? No. Oh, okay. Never mind then. I wondered if it might have been like the, you know, their the attempt at an original song, Oscar, by yeah. including an original song. But yeah, it's actually a song called "Remain," mm. uh, which she does say in the lyrics. There, it's by someone credited as Salika. Mm. Why are you saying that with such suspicion? Well, <laughs> she goes by Salika, but uh, would you like to know her full name? Uh, Billie Eilish. <laughs> No, her her actual full name is uh, Salika Shyamalan. Uh, <laughs> oh no, it's from old. <laughs> oh god. Uh, so of course that was the song "Remain" from old. Yes. Um, <laughs> which uh, uh, by the daughter of M Night Shyamalan. Uh, wonder wonder how she got that gig. Maybe maybe she auditioned under the name Salika and he didn't know it was her. And he just heard the voice. <laughs> and he thought it was Billie yeah. Eilish. Yeah. <laughs> are we um, are we are we talking about that? Is that on the lineup? Mm, it it no, so let's talk about it now. Hooray! I haven't seen it. Uh, oh, I think you'll awful. like it, Alan. I think Alan yeah. will like it. I'd like, I'd like to see yeah, it. Yeah, probably. I, I I'll be honest, I I had a blast at the cinema. Like I enjoyed it. Hmm. I don't think it's all bad, personally. I think you're you're very different on this front, Calvin. But uh, I I thought it took some gargantuan swings that I kind of respect it for taking, uh, but it didn't. I'm work. stunned that you're so lax on it. Really, I mean, I know that when it comes to Shyamalan, we've often I I seem to remember going way back to our M Night episode that we had a bit of a debate about you think he's more self-aware than I do, than I think he is. Um, particularly when it comes to what he thinks is funny and what is funny in his films and all that kind of stuff. But I, I thought, like, for you, like, because you're very Mr. Logic when it comes to a lot of stuff, particularly with these kinds of concepts, and this one was all over the place with that. It well, made it no sense its own at all. internal rules, though, didn't it? It didn't I mean, even that... do that. 
Go on, what, why not? What was uh, I mean, it, it's a terrible film that I watched a few months ago, but I remember questioning about... The, there is a line in there, I think, about hair and nails and oh, why yeah. they're not rapidly <laughs> growing. And and it was weird that the baby... Oh, okay, I'm not going to go into The baby thing was but... such nonsense. Yeah, that was such M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, for fuck's sake? And then the magnets thing? Like, it was really <laughs> weird. I was, like, totally going with it as, like... Uh, oh, yeah, whatever. It's like now. a fa- it, it's a, it's a fable kind of thing. I'm fine with that. But then yeah. the the last ten minutes, for the, yeah, for the most I part, I was like, this is a bit shitty, but okay, two stars. But then the last like fifteen twenty minutes or so was like a made me furious, really <laughs> well, angry. I didn't particularly care for the last ten minutes either. Um, I I loved the basic setup. It felt very Twilight Zoney. I thought it had some pretty effective, uh, not scares, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was none of that. Well, it's it. I I found it quite unsettling. I thought it tapped into certain people. I don't know about you, Calvin. I find the finite nature of time very unsettling. If I really stop and think about it, and how we're all going to die one day, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, I you know, agree. I, and I thought on a on a technical level, I thought the cinematography was like incredible. Um, oh, I thought it was disgusting. Really, it was awful. Yeah, I thought no, there was it, 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 amazing it, it, shots in there, and the makeup effects I thought were great. Did he do a shot in a mirror? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think he did. It's not a good film, but I I don't think it's as bad as some people are. I I probably put it in the top half of his filmography, honestly. I it's down there with the happening for me. It's very close to that level. Oof. All right, uh, next song, I guess. Healing the world with comedy, making a literal difference, <laughs> metaphorically. Oh, um, Buzz. Calvin. Oh, wait, is it? It is inside Bo Burnham, right? It is, well done. Yes. Is it a parody of the 80s or something? Not really, that's just kind of what he does musically, I think. Um, care to take a stab at that song name, Calvin? Oh, oh God. Um... Uh, is it is it just healing the world with comedy? I don't know. I mean, it's not, but I'll give you that. It's just comedy. Oh. You got you got the oh. word there. Oh. I liked um, some of the songs in it. I liked the Welcome to the Internet mm. song. I thought that was good. I really loved some of the songs. Yeah, not all of them, mm. but I, I I was very. Um, it it was very much the sort of thing that makes me depressed because it's like. Mm. There's no reason you couldn't have made this beyond like <laughs> your lack of talent. <laughs> like that's <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like mm, things like that always upset me. Normally I can sort of be like, well, you know, you don't have rich parents, so it's all right, but uh, <laughs> anyway. We don't talk about you. No, no, no. Oh, no. Yeah, buzz, buzz. Go on, Cameron. That is We Don't Talk About Bruno from uh, Encanto, which I saw on Christmas Eve and loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I know it's, it'll be Lin-Manuel Man- Miranda that wrote it, but I, I'll I say the, that. It's, it's an ensemble, isn't it? So yeah. it's just most of the voice cast. Stephanie, Beatrice, I can't name anyone else. Um, yep. Her. I saw her on stage uh, the other week. Very weird oh. casting in uh, that ghost story play that Lily Allen was in the first run of. Well, I thought her casting in Encanto was a bit odd, considering you know she was playing like a fifteen-year-old girl, and I thought she yeah. was great in it. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I was kind of I'm used to her voice in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where she obviously puts on a bit more of a tough sort of thing. So it took me a while to place her. I've only just started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it's still very much what I know her from. So to see her on stage mm. where she doesn't 
talk or sound like that at all was like, oh wow, she's like actually acting on that show. Okay, I hate when actors yeah. do that. <laughs> Just be yeah. yourself in everything. God's sake. Yeah. I I loved it. I love Lin Manuel Miranda when he's kind of got a, a leash on him as a songwriter. And I think Disney, mm-hmm. I think Disney are the one place where he'll like write a song and they'll go, mm, come on. You can do a bit better. <laughs> I think everyone else just goes, wow, Lin-Manuel Miranda, amazing. My name is Lin-Manuel Miranda and it is a song. And then Disney go, come on. this White it up a bit. <laughs> it's, it's not good enough and you, you, we need another draft. And he comes back. And that's why the songs are so much better in Encanto and Moana than everything else he's hmm. done. No, I loved it. I, I The last 30, 60 seconds kind of ruined it. Um, but hmm. other than that. <laughs> yeah. I was happy to go with it, uh, the, the, those last 30 seconds, because I, yeah. I, I just like that it was kind of breaking out of the mould of, um, and this isn't to slight the usual, but, you know, character is at home and wants more and then has to go on a road trip yeah, with a I, I human agree. sidekick, a animal mm. and a magical friend, and it's that usual thing. I kind of like that it, it felt smaller and more contained. Yeah, um, completely. It was, um, I think I called it a, a domestic spin on the hero's journey or something like that but um mm. it, that it really felt intentionally like right we're keeping this at home we're not going on some magical quest to a volcano or whatever you know mm. it, it, and i really appreciated that it made the family stakes kind of a lot more real i guess um mm. oh i completely agree and because f- th- there was a point in the film where i, I kind of realized oh she's not going away on an adventure or yeah. something like yeah. that and i was it took some reconfiguring of my expectations because that's what all these things are like it's what most pixar ones are like isn't it just like road movies but i, and I yeah, think I it would have just it been and- a very generic film if it had been that so i was really mm. pleased when i had the same thought of like oh okay they're, they're kind of keeping this at home mm. All right, there's one more, one more song here for this round. I saw a girl today. I saw a girl no way. I saw a girl today, and her name is Maria. Oh, buzz, buzz. All right. Oh, damn it. Yeah. That'll be West Side Story. Yeah. But that mm. I don't I don't know who's in it, but that was not a professional singer. That must be an actor. <laughs> well, oh God, sing. was that Ansel Elgort? Well, you've fallen into my trap, so I almost want to take a point off, but I didn't establish oh. that I would do that beforehand. So no, it's not West Side Story. Uh, ah, that's, that's... the trick, fake yeah. Maria. Yeah. Okay. Say, say some more of it. Saw a girl today, the one that got away. I saw a girl today. So is this some sort of parody thing? Um, yeah, and you're right. He's not a singer. He's he's barely even a an actor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a journalist. Uh, <laughs> a wrestler. I I don't think you're gonna get it. It's um it, it's uh, Eric Andre from that film Bad Trip, which was uh, of course shot using the cinema unawareite style. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember it was basically it. like a hidden camera thing, and that was from one of the funnier uh, moments in the film where he basically does like a big musical number, but like in public, so people are just like, "What the fuck? <laughs> like, what, like <laughs> what's this guy just like doing a big romantic song and dance in the middle of the shopping mall with you know backing dancers and stuff?" Which was you know a nice little comedic idea, I guess. 
that film uh, it leaked in 2020, but it is officially a 2021 release. All right, the next film, right? Yeah. What are we up to? Candyman. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, let's hear our thoughts before Calvin starts trampling all over it. (laughs) So I went into this Candyman film pretty blind. Wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I was interested to find that it is just a straight-up sequel to the previous Candyman films. Yeah, uh, at least the first one, because I just thought they were going to kind of reboot it, but they've they've gone to great lengths to tie it in, and yeah, in quite I, a nice I, way. I thought. I agree. I thought they were going to make it much more of a well, it's a sequel, but anyone watching this who doesn't know any better would just think it was the first movie kind of yeah. thing. And it's not really. I think anyone watching this who's not familiar with Candyman would be a bit lost. They'd be like, "What? <laughs> Wait, who's yeah, that?" I mean, they, they basically get a backstory that you just kind of go, "Okay, well, I guess that's the backstory. I'll accept that." But for those in the know, that is the that is the first film. But all the all the cool kind of reveals and things, you know, it's all paying off um, mm. a connection with the first film. Which I, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I, I really enjoyed this film and I loved the connection to the old film. I thought it was a great sequel. I don't know how much of that is just kind of cheap nostalgia, cheap like, remember this film? I think it's all done organically though. I think it's all um, justified. I think it all tied in really nicely. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with that at all. Um, let me kind of nutshell this for you. Um, I found it perfectly watchable and obviously it it pulls in a lot of current uh, political ideas. Yeah, it's upset uh, a lot so, of people. So, well, social social ideas, I guess. Um, I think that was a little bit on the nose, but yeah, f- but valid, fair. Um, yeah, generally, people who don't like the film fall into two camps, and they are, you know, the the dickhead rating everything one out of ten brigade who don't like movies about black people or women who will just mm-hmm. get all their fake accounts up in arms. Uh, they've obviously come out to give it low ratings. And then also, I think there's a fair few more casual moviegoers who are just like, all right, we get it. <laughs> Stop beating us over the head with it. Yeah, I, I think I fall into that second category slightly, but hopefully in a sort of legitimate way. But, uh, you know, I get it. It's not really aimed at me. It's It's not a story from my world. But I did really appreciate some elements of that. Yeah. I think just right at the end... <laughs> where there's the policeman literally in the car with her and he's talking to her. It's like, that's a bit that's a bit much. But for I, the most part, I, I was on board with it. I, I totally was on board with it in the same way that I'll get completely on board with like really angry rap music that's like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. fuck the man, fuck the police. And that doesn't reflect how I feel, but I completely yeah, exactly. appreciate this as a work of art expressing something valid. <laughs> I don't know what it's like growing up in South Central yeah. LA. But and I so do I can love the NWA. <laughs> yeah, and, and I completely got on board with this film in that same way, where it's like, yeah, look, if anything, I'm I'm part of gentrification. I, I certainly can't get on a high horse about that. But sure, I'll watch Candyman kill a load of white people. When I watched the movie, I didn't even realize that he was only killing white people until afterwards, when all the pissy, ooh, politically meh, meh, people were complaining about it. I mm. thought it was visually beautiful like you know really well um shot and constructed both from a this is nice to look at point of view and from a 
ooh, there's a little bit of movement in that corner. Was that something, ooh, what's over there? You know, like an effective Mm. horror point of view. I thought it made better use of many of the concepts of, you know, Candyman than the first Candyman does, such as the whole mirror thing. Oh, well, now we're only going to see him in reflections, which isn't, um, I don't think that's something that ever happens in the earlier films, but it's such a nice (laughs) visual element to... um, you know, have people being killed by this invisible entity, but you can see him reflected in the mirror. That it's so cool, <laughs> just visually. Uh, yeah, let me. What I had a just a, not exactly a problem, but just that didn't work for me was every, everything about it really, and this includes the visuals. It felt quite derivative somehow. It felt like I'd seen it all before, mm. and it felt like. It felt like someone had watched a Jordan Peele film and went, oh yeah, this is how people make horror films now, let's just do that. I kind of agree with you there, but I'm alright with that. But that was just the one thing that kind of like left me cold slightly, just because mm. of that. Even though it looked nice, I liked all the, the stuff they were doing with the, you know, not reflecting the camera in the mirrors and all that sort of stuff. It was nice work. But I think this is a logical conclusion of the political things that are brought up in the first film. And this is actually feels like someone who knows what they're talking about, d- uh, exploring that, as opposed to yeah, someone it, from Liverpool writing it and then just translating it to Chicago or whatever. The, the idea of Candyman essentially being an embodiment of black oppression and they being there to protect the black man, the black community against the white yeah. oppressors. That is not in the first film. I will argue this, though. The first film doesn't make any sense. None of that really <laughs> means anything. It's just a nonsense horror film. So I'm happy for them to put something into it. I I never quite got the idea of, of Candyman as like a saviour of black people. I kind of took it more as these... Um, you know, arrogant white people playing with fire and getting themselves burnt. And then at the end, I kind of like the idea that a character is able to weaponize it. That's not to say that that is the point of Candyman. Mm. It's more like if in a zombie movie, someone was able to lead a stampede of zombies into the villain's house to defeat them. It's that because kind she of is thing. his wife, right? She like the so you know maybe he's got that kind of. He's got his zombie memory of her former love. And... Well, maybe, except it, it, it's Tony Todd at the very end, isn't it? When he comes and so... Yeah, but that's just like a bit of nonsense, isn't it? Just... Well, I, I don't know. I, I love that. The, the idea that Candyman is, you know, no longer a singular entity. He's, you know, a member He's of a region. hive. It was such a great way to tie it back into the whole bee thing in a way that makes it slightly more, slightly less just all over the place. I think in our Candyman episode we complain that it's a bit just like, oh, and there's bees, and then there's a hook, and yeah, and this felt a bit more like, okay, that's connecting that properly there. And so basically, what we're saying is any problems with plot for this is because of the inherited <laughs> nonsense from the first film. <laughs> They've done their best yeah. to tie this all together. I mean, basically, I I really enjoyed it. I, Jordan Peele is known for being fucking heavy-handed these days, but I don't think I don't think he wants to be. Do you know what I mean? It's not his prerogative. He's making mm. films that smash you over the head with what they're saying, and I'm okay with that. I I don't see the like. Not everything has to be subtle. Did you give it a rating? Yeah, I give it an 8 out of 10, which is my uh, highest rating for uh, any Candyman movie to date. Well, like I, I said, I, I basically enjoyed it. It was fine and watchable, but 
it was a little I just felt a little bit lackluster somehow it just didn't grip me put it that way but it was perfectly good and um, it certainly had some interesting points uh, and so I gave it a seven probably a fairly low seven but you know a seven yeah yeah and I'm not a horror guy I'm not a horror fan really that's a pretty good score for me Very positive. Hmm. Well, I can only add to the positivity. I loved it. I think it's my favourite 2021 release, to be honest. I, I'm looking at my list of films here, and it's my third favourite. So, ah. yeah. I see it's it's not gone down all that well, though, has it? Um, no, which I'm surprised about. on IMDb, yeah. God, is that all? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was really impressive. And, it, you know, it had funny... You know, moments and stuff to break the tension. So I just thought it was as a complete package. I thought it was really good. And mm. yeah, a lot of the criticism that I've seen is like, oh, it's too stuffed full of ideas that it doesn't explore properly and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of all right with it just being a bit of a smorgasbord, to be honest. Uh, yeah. And yeah, there are some characters that come in and maybe aren't fully, you know, there's that uh, gay character and his partner. And they yeah. just kind of disappear from it. But I, you know, I, I was kind of fine with it. They're just, you know, amusing characters to come in when you need some levity. And mm. I didn't need them to, yeah, necessarily serve a purpose. I don't know if they are just set up for sequels or what. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was absolutely terrific. Can I just try something? Japanese Bond. Japanese Bond. Japanese Bond. <laughs> Japanese Bond. Oh, no. Japanese Bond. No, he's done it. Oh. Good night, Lash. Oh. oh, no. Why did you do it? Why did you tempt fate? I wanted to see if it was a real thing. Well, it is a real thing, Lash. Good night. I hope he guts you with a hook. Good night, <laughs> Billy. Well, Billy, Billy Eilish, the vet, is here. Watching <laughs> Billy the Eilish, the vet. That's the worst <laughs> improv line you've ever <laughs> There's no meaning behind it. <laughs> not funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, Billy's here watching the office. Yeah, we're 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 pals, aren't we, Billy? We uh, we like making music together. If you know what I mean. No time to oh, die. Run, Billy, run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 uh, I'm just here, lads, to uh, just saying thanks to uh, Chris Chris Gowan. Chris what? Chris Chris Gowan. Thanks, Chris. Gowan. And uh Irish. And thanks Derek Brown, who uh yeah, yeah thanks you guys, the, the, the Patreon Patreon subscribers. Oh. They're, they're on the old Patreon there. Uh, nice. listening Thank to you, uh, all the those lads they'll be listening to all the uh, forty minute full versions of these discussions that we've been going through today. Right, she anyway, I've got to go off. It's uh Hogmanay. Uh, I know this episode is going out after that, but uh, we're recording it beforehand. (laughs) No, it's Japanese Hogmanay, isn't it? So, uh, what's it over there? Probably eat some KFC or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Kit Kat. Yeah. All right. See you, Laj. (laughs) See ya. Bye, Japanese Bond. That was was interesting, wasn't it? Um, So, I guess anyone at home, if you want to try that, just say his name five times and. uh, He'll come out and thank some uh, Patreon subscribers. <laughs> uh, all right, so next up, Matrix. I went into this pretty blind. I think I might have seen the trailer, but 
I was surprised by just how kind of meta it all was. We obviously covered the Matrix trilogy recently on the show, and I don't know, I've always found it quite a po-faced, serious kind of franchise, you know? It it, it never really did anything with a wink and a nod, you know? It was was always very... uh, I don't know. It, so it was just bizarre to me that, that this film, for anyone who hasn't seen it and clearly doesn't care about spoilers because they're listening to this, the first half hour, 40 minutes of this film are this bizarre meta setup where Neo is... Mr. Anderson. Yeah, he's back to being Mr. Anderson and he's just living a normal life as the He's annoyed game... about some boys whacking off in his trailer. <laughs> Uh, he's he's a he's a game developer. Well, the the idea is he designed he designed a game twenty years ago called The Matrix, and you know he's been coasting off that ever since. No, he's not. He's been developing a new thing that that they put on hold to make a new Matrix game. He made a trilogy of games called uh, The Matrix. Has Lana Wachowski Wachowski sorry has Lana Wachowski ever played a video game? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I, I get the imp- about the cutscenes. Well, I get the impression that, that <laughs> no no character in this world seems to quite know what a video game is because <laughs> we see footage from the games and it's just live action footage of Keanu Reeves and whatever Trinity's called, Big Larry's there, and, yeah. and it and it doesn't. How hard would it have been to? Um, if not apply a kind of pixely filter to the footage to to remake it in CGI, in, so it actually looks like, like ninety nine PS two style. Or, or you know, like, I can buy I can buy that in this world they made photorealistic graphics even. But the problem is you're presenting me with like quick edits and camera movements that would make a game completely unplayable. How the fuck would you control that game as it's presented when we see footage of it? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, (laughs) Tom Anderson is a a video game developer. He made a Matrix trilogy of games uh, years ago. And uh, then, not Big Larry, Little Larry turns up and they're like, hey, mate, you're in the Matrix. And he's like, what? And then Neil Patrick Harris is like, no, you're mental, mate. Take a pill. Take a blue (laughs) pill. Obviously, we know he's in the Matrix again. It's like a weird meta trap they've constructed. But I I must admit, I loved the idea of, is he actually just crazy? Yeah, I I think you can't go too far down that rabbit hole, dare I say, if, because of what's come before it. Yeah, I would have preferred a bit more. I I would have liked a whole film of that, really. And I I think you... I think you probably could get away with that as much as you could get away with doing it for the first half hour because, lest we forget, The Matrix is all about... It's this big philosophical movie that questions the nature of reality. So it kind of is in keeping to to do that. And that's the problem with this film. It thinks it's a lot more... I think it thinks it's being cleverer than it is... Well, that um, is the Matrix. All it is, through, it, it is. But the problem is they go down a kind of weird meta comedy route for the first half hour or so. And if you're going to do that, maybe let's hire a funny writer. Maybe let's, <laughs> let's hire a joke guy. Let's get someone in who, who works on a sitcom who can write something funny. Because there's some attempts at humour in this that are painful. And, you know, it would have been so easy to just do another more of the same, you know? Like like The Matrix Reloaded, which, as we know, I hate. 
I wish they'd gone the full hog, though. I, I wish they'd pulled out and done it as this is Keanu Reeves as himself. Yes. On the set of The Matrix 4. New nightmare, you know? Let's have the actors as themselves. Let's have some real, like, fun with that. Let's acknowledge the fact that Hugo Weaving is uh, unable to reprise Agent Smith due to scheduling conflicts. I really respect the big decisions, big swings. It's nothing like the other Matrix movies that have come before it, or at least for the first half it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it is different. There are mu- there, there are montages set to like pop songs. I don't think there's a single pop song in the original Matrix trilogy. I don't think there's any like contemporary music other than the score, you know? I might be wrong saying that. But, but you know, it, just things like that. Film language is different in this one. The, the cinematography. I've heard a lot of complaints that this film looks hideous, but I think it's very clear they were going for... An, a like modern, oversaturated color palette, like you'd see on Instagram and and the modern concert, you know, modern video games. The, the original films, lest we forget, are pretty horrible to look at. They're just green, murky green, <laughs> and I don't want another yeah. murky green movie. And then we had a new Morpheus, and I really didn't like it because. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, Hugo Weaving is recast in this as well, and it is vaguely justified with story reasons, but not really well enough for my liking. But Hugo Weaving, there were scheduling conflicts, he couldn't film the movie at the time they wanted to film it, so they just went, alright, we'll go ahead with a new actor. Alright, you know, I would have preferred they waited for, for such an iconic performance, like, come on. Yeah, but if you got Keanu Reeves for a set period, like that's what you're working to, isn't it? I guess so, but I don't know. Wait six months and have them both, surely. Uh, anyway, mm. I get it, right? Scheduling conflicts. That's a reason. Big Larry, Fishy Larry, he, he says... He that, well, they didn't call him. <laughs> they didn't even ask him to be in it. It was a it was a creative decision to recast the role. And, and the reason within the film is that... Um, this character is meant to be it's not morpheus it's uh it's a a computer program version of morpheus as programmed by neo into this matrix that is like a fusion of morpheus and agent smith and that Something just like that. that that doesn't come across at all it's like if you're going to do that let's cast an actor and have him perform it in such a way that it feels like a fusion of those two characters. But yeah, basically, they pretty swiftly it just becomes, right, that was the Matrix you were in, now we've pulled you out into the real world, and everything's fine. The war's over, we live in harmony with the machines, there's no conflict whatsoever. And then they go and fuck it up. Yeah, and I was alright with that, because the, the, it becomes a mission of, well... I love this woman. I'm going to go uh, pull her out of the Matrix as well so we can be together. And I thought that was quite nice. It's like, okay, so it's a very different set of stakes than I expected from a Matrix movie. You know, it's not save the world. The world is saved. This is like a little personal story about... Yeah, so like I say, it's a fucking mess of a film. I think it's a shame they couldn't tighten it up a little bit. Everything, you know, the script, the mm. the the dialogue, the characters, the the acting, the edit. So there's problems. There's big, big problems with it. A lot of it doesn't make sense. But I ultimately respect it for being such a big, big swing, 
for not just resting on its laurels, for trying to say something, for trying to do something new, for exploring our nature with... Uh, I've seen a lot of complaints that it's the whole thing is just a deconstruction of franchise filmmaking and our nature, our relationship with sequels. And I don't, I think that's a very superficial read of it. I, I think it was trying to be about our relationship with memory and like nostalgia on a deeper level. You know, I, I don't think it's just about Star Wars, the force awakens. But I think ultimately it's kind of an ode to the power of love. So I, I'm surprised you were speaking as positively about well, it as possible. Yeah, but... yeah. I mean, that's the least favourite bit of the Matrix. <laughs> so we have to. Well, it, it normally is for me, but I quite liked it here. It's like, all right, this one is an actual love story instead of a shitty romance crowbar into it felt, a better film. Yeah, it, I think it was because. In a film, you have to build an. Uh, you two people meet, and you have to build this whole yeah, story. Yeah, and, yeah. And because you don't have the time to build it, it never quite feels genuine. But here, you're essentially just going, "Look, we've got 20 years with a history. Like, even though if you actually think about it, you know, all they've had is the first film, and we saw all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, maybe it's just easier to go, "Oh, look, these are kind of middle-aged people who are look are looking back on like something they've lost, and it was." Yeah. Anyway, my point is, I really like what it was, that it's a, th- a film. I like that it exists. I respect it for doing what it did and for being so out there. So I, I give it a very, very low, very generous, this is very much a point five rounded up, <laughs> 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'm basically on the same page, I think, with what you've said, and I gave it a 7 out of 10 as well. It was um, mm. it was very enjoyable and watchable yeah. for all its flaws. Yeah, By it's, far it's... and away my favourite of the Matrix sequels. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, you'd have to go some way to uh, yeah, go below the other two. Ooh, Keanu Reeves, eh? Mm. But it's not Keanu Vember anymore, it's Keanuary. Hey, let's just move on to uh, the Kingsman. Well, this film's been getting a pretty bad reception. Uh, Has it? Around. That's interesting. It sounds, it sounds like you're gonna mirror that. Um, you hated Kingsman you know what? too, didn't you? I did. Yes, and I I will say I've come out of this film. I still consider Matthew Vaughn to be one of my least favourite directors. I don't like um, his I style. Fair. I don't like his writing. I guess he doesn't write them necessarily, but you know he's involved. I don't like his humour. So, yeah, I didn't like it. However, I thought it was a huge improvement on the last one. We'll get into a bit of detail, and I'll tell you some things I didn't like about it. But I will say, on a general thing... It went by, it was a bit of action, a bit of drama, I enjoyed it, I got into the emotional elements as much as I need to for a film on this level, and and that was fine. Well, I'm going to lay my cards out on the table up front as well. I think it's the best in the franchise. I I certainly enjoyed it the most. Like a lot of those issues that I had with the other films are still very present here, but they're not nearly as extreme you know yeah, the, yeah. the the tangents and messy plot elements are still there but it's a hell of a lot cleaner the 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 muddled ethics and politics they're still there but yeah. they're way more like corners sanded off they're not quite as like what the fuck are you even trying to say matthew vaughn i love a bit of ray fines i usually think 
is he the most interesting guy we could have for this role in this film? I think the Kingsman, perfect casting. He is your kind of boring Bullingdon Club knobhead. Like I I think it it worked really well. That that is something actually I want to touch on. Like one of my issues with these films and Matthew Vaughan in general and probably the entire James Bond franchise, certainly things Calvin seems to like is that I think they have no actual concept of what is and isn't cool. Their concept of what is cool is so alien and warped that it just doesn't play at all at all. And that you know this film is guilty of that. There's there's a scene kind of shortly after the moment we were just discussing where you know Ray finds he's he's hit rock bottom. He 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 failed his son, he failed his dead wife a broken man and they portray it as oh he's hit the bottle he's been drinking uh whiskey look he's a mess and to portray him as a mess what we get is fucking badass ray finds he's got a cool beard he's wearing a he's got a new scarf that's kind of a bit uneven it's the coolest he looks in the film he's there with a glass of whiskey in hand he's like a fucking badass and then Gemma Arterton comes in goes pull yourself together mate and then we're meant to have, like, next scene, the triumphant moment. He's back, he's pulled himself together, and he looks like Arthur Askey. It's a <laughs> fucking, like, it's the most, it was the least cool costume they could possibly, possibly have given him. His hair's slicked back, he's got fucking round cartoon turtle glasses on. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. And so that's why these films don't generally work for me. But I will say this film, I think, again, kind of kept a lid on that more than the other ones. Because at least this one is set in the old days with, you know, it's very removed. It's a different culture. I want to talk about the guy who plays the kid, Harris Dickinson. His name is never seen anything else. What I want to ask is, yeah, (laughs) is he playing an empty vessel or is he just an empty vessel? (laughs) Is he acting... Uh, the most bland actor who's ever lived. <laughs> I think it's probably a bit of both. Do you not think? I, I think that character, I think it worked. I, I think I was not upset from a story point of view when his character died. I was upset from a pure human empathy point of view, you know? But it wasn't like, yeah. oh, this is bad for the story. We've lost. But it was. Our best it was a character. very bland performance, is what I'm saying. It was, and there's even within yeah. you're creating a something of an empty shell, naive young man character. But I, do, I don't. I don't know what you could really do with that. We have one other thing we have to address. Yeah, Risifan. Yeah. Now, talking about um, muddied politics and real people from history and so on, this is probably the thing that sat least well with me in the whole film is that there is a a lot of mileage gained out of the idea that Rasputin is secretly if not gay bisexual which isn't based on anything from history it's not like that's a well-known little historical theory even i think the general idea was that he was a shagger he was just doing it him in the right place and a horrible creepy predator yeah yeah Mm. yeah but it plays quite unintentionally but in a way that felt bizarre to me in 2021 it play it plays in a way that feels like it's demonizing gayness it plays like yeah this guy is a fucking creepy deviant he's such a creepy deviant he does gay stuff and (laughs) 
I didn't think it played like that. It for me, it was more to do with uh, listen, listen, young man, you're 18 now. It's time to serve your country. You, you ready to die for your country? Yes. Are you ready to get bummed for your country? This mm. is my next issue. What <laughs> follows is you know it's in the right hands. This could be an excellent comedic setup. You know, maybe not particularly intelligent, but. The idea that a James Bond... It's an inversion of the Bond thing. It's the James Bond seduction thing. Yeah. But he has to seduce a man. And he doesn't want to because he's James Bond. He wants to seduce a beautiful woman. Now, the problem with this is, this is the first time this guy's ever had to do any spy work and they're not established in a Bond way. This is, again, Kingsman 3. You send Taron Egerton into a mission where he has to seduce a guy... That's going to be interesting. That's like an inversion of the trope. Let's do that. But it didn't work at all because it wasn't just yeah. It was this weird, like you say. I don't know. It's it's walk. It's on thin ice. I think the whole way through, and it, I don't know quite how I felt about it. It is. It, it feels like it was sort of as far that way as you can get in twenty twenty one without yeah crossing yeah. the line. But it was, yeah, it was a bit weird. But just a bit weird, really. And 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 also Rasputin is ultimately a complete and utter tangent. You know, he... he, he yeah. I was concerned he was going to just be full-blown supernatural and come back well, after being shot in the head, but... He, um, does, he does magically heal Rafe Fine's leg. Yeah. And that that's not just a temporary thing like, oh, it's all in his head, he just come psychologically made him feel better. Well, we don't know that. Well, no, his leg is fine for the rest of the thing, and he's... Yeah, but maybe... Maybe it was psychological the whole way. Maybe maybe Ray Fiennes was just feeling so sorry for himself. Because much the same thing happens later when Gemma Arterton walks in and tells him to pull himself together and he has a cup, mm-hmm. a cup of tea and then he's like perfectly sober even though he's supposedly... Well, I'll tell you right now, a cup of tea will not sober you up if you are drunk. So, yeah, that, the whole Rasputin bit and Risa Fan, who has obviously just been told to go for it... it he was having fun. yeah. He was having fun. Matthew Vaughn obviously loved it. Uh, but it was the weakest part for me. It felt the most Matthew Vaughn bit of the film for me. Like, his sense of humour. Um, you know what? That's something, right? We, we've complained. I know you're not a fan of action. But mm. the Kingsman movies are known for big, big bombastic action scenes. Big, elaborate fight set pieces. And I think I've complained about the previous two in that they... They're so digitally stitched together. They're so artificial yep. that it sort of subtracts from the choreography on show. Because it's like, well, it's so fake. I just can't admire what mm. you've put together here. And a lot of it's needlessly fake. It's stuff you yes. could do in camera. But I didn't really get that problem in this film. I felt they, like... Com- he definitely toned to the, it down, yeah. Yeah, compared to the previous two, all the fights here felt largely done properly. It still had its moments. There's yeah. still definitely a bit of a predilection to fake camera movements and, and stuff that jump out at me, and I don't like that. I do think that's a matter of... There is a bit of personal taste there. But for the most part, it was scaled back to a point where it's like, okay, this is an addition to the normal mm. rules of stuff, and we can just enhance things rather than going too far. Yeah, that was it. And I, I, I largely quite enjoyed the action here, because it never felt too... It never felt like this is the entire purpose of this scene. It never felt like we're yeah. just going to stop. And it felt like, all right, here's a. It quick never felt fight. like, oh, look at this cool action scene, isn't it yeah. amazing? It felt like here's a quick fight relevant to the story, and yeah, they were pretty, pretty cool fights. I, I quite enjoyed it on that front. So that there you go. That's another reason I quite enjoyed this film. 
Yeah. Well, overall, um, I gave it a six. All right. It's a big step up from the last one, frankly. Yeah, I well, I give it a seven, which is the same score I've given all the Kingsman movies to date. But as I say, this is my favourite of the lot. Calvin, that'll be interesting to hear what you make of that as well. Um, mm. One day. It's, uh, it is technically yeah. a spy movie still, so, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to rush to see it. My, my opinion of Kingsman has gone quite down, actually, and the spark of it was our initial podcast all those years <laughs> ago, where Alan said some quite pertinent things that uh, really stuck with me upon rewatching. How come we never managed so... to get that influence on you with Bond? <laughs> yeah. he's, well, it's gambler's fallacy, isn't it? He's too far gone into Bond. Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing too if much we, after all these years we managed to turn him on Bond? <laughs> he's just like, hang on, this is a bit sort of sexist and crap. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Bond, oh, we've saved the best to last, haven't we? Have we? Ah, no time to die. Should we get Billie Eilish to introduce us? <laughs> well, th- thanks for opening up our, our special James Bond diminisode extravaganza, Billy. Uh, I know I say this every time, I'm a very big fan, so it's an honour to, to have you here. Um, I must have heard the song in the film. I must have heard her sing. Yeah. yeah, you definitely did. How does the song go? Do it for me. It's pretty much like that, isn't it? That was fairly accurate, actually. It's like live lounge. This is amazing. Thank you, Billy. It's so good to have you here. So, Sol, you haven't seen No Time to Die. Yeah, but I know that. I know. I know he dies. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> spoilers, by the way. Which Alan nearly buggered up on a live nearly? chat thing that we did. Yeah, no, I, just, did. I, I just I don't straight think nearly, forward said it. It was an accident, but you know. I think he outright fucked it up. I don't think it nearly counts. It, I, <laughs> in our in our brilliant uh, Halloween live episode spectacular, uh, and those of you who weren't there for the actual live thing won't know this because I believe it got edited out. Thankfully, yeah, I did edit. I didn't edit it much for the YouTube oh. video, but that was one of the things I took out. Alan did a hilarious joke when No Time to Die came up. Uh, the film had just come out. Alan hadn't seen it yet. And Alan just went, oh, it dies at the end. Yeah, we were making jokes about doing spoilers because some people had seen it, some hadn't. And I went, yeah, yeah, no spoilers, but he does die at the end. Yeah, no, as, a, an, as such an obvious joke because it's such, something that definitely wouldn't happen. <laughs> well, the thing is, yeah. it's not definitely wouldn't happen. I think it was fairly, like, 50-50 that he'd make it out alive. No, I don't know. I, I, think so. I, I definitely thought it was on the table. So sorry to everyone who Alan ruined the film for. <laughs> Even when I went in to see the film, which was after that, I wasn't then thinking, oh yeah, this guy's going to die at the end. Because hmm. I thought... Because it's know, called maybe... No Time to Die. So... Yeah, so I mean, we wouldn't lie to you up front like that. This is the first time we've covered a new James Bond film. On Can the you believe podcast it? Since we started it, isn't it? <laughs> and we've been around, and we've been around for twelve years now. We started the podcast <laughs> in anticipation of this film. 
It got delayed <laughs> so, so so much so, we had to pad it out with non-James Bond movies. That is yeah. not enough of a joke. <laughs> to me, to me. Let me put it like this. I think No Time to Die is my favourite film of the year. Wow. Huh. Which I, I wasn't expecting. I, <clears throat> I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than I ever anticipated. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of things I liked about it. You know, I'm not saying I haven't got any complaints it's still got all the usual problems of being a bit bit too long and stuff you have of course only seen one film this year though haven't you alan (laughs) no i've seen at least six (laughs) but no i think it got a lot right um i think it was a very appropriate end for this character that they've created since 2006 and i i think it was a brilliant rounding off for this this bond Wow. I, I'm. I was really happy that they had the courage to follow through on, on what they needed to do with it. Uh, yeah, and I think it was an appropriate ending. Huh. The the film is about. I mean, it, it's very difficult for me because a, there's a chunk of about twenty minutes, half an hour in it that is probably my peak of Daniel Craig's entire filmography, um, and I have a great time for the first two hours. But in the third act, it, it falls apart so fast, and I yeah. I mean, it's it's that Star Wars sequel trilogy problem of when they started it out, they did they had no real idea of how it was gonna end yeah. up, um, and obviously bringing in new filmmakers and writers and stuff, it's it, it yeah it it looks back and then think oh okay well we can try and tie this in and try and do this but and and similar with the ending with him dying it was it is very much uh, like Daniel Craig wanted to do it. And phoned up Barbara Broccoli and was like, yeah, okay, we can do that. Yeah, it's your classic Harrison Ford, I don't want to make any more of these, so let's kill me off. Yeah, but then as Kerry Fukunaga, the eventual director, said, he was kind of like, well, that's a result, it's not an ending. So he kind of had to be the one to try and manufacture bits and pieces of scripts and whatnot to try and get it to a point where it worked and i feel like that's my main issue with a good chunk of the third act is that it's just piling on all of these different things to make you believe that this has to happen um because this character's just known for getting out of all these kinds of situations he's always got a gadget or something like that and they they really go into overdrive to try to convince you that this has to happen is it like uncut gems where you start thinking like, oh God, Bond, stop do it. stop making bad decisions. <laughs> this is gonna bite you in the ass, Bond. You can't just kill him off. You've got to have a big build up to it. You've got to have a big emotional drop a climax on him, to it and you? all that. So they had to pull it all together. I know, I know what you're, I know what you're going at. And I liked the uh, the new 007, Nomi, played by Lashana Lynch. I really liked yeah. her. Well, I, I really liked that character as well, actually. That was one of my favourite bits. I thought they handled that whole concept really well. Uh, mm. She was really good. And I think, you know, they, they played up to the idea of like, ooh, a, someone else is 007? Ooh, and, but, and then mm. let Bond play with that a little bit. It was it was nice. I, I was that, that like when mm. um, Glenn Howerton had to basically leave it's always sunny in Philadelphia due to um, scheduling on another show he was making. And so the first episode back for season, I don't know, 12 or 13, whatever it was, they basically got Mindy Kaling in as an, a new character. But then at the end, he just walks in. He's like, who the fuck? Get the fuck out. And they all just like yell at her and swear at her. And, and it was like <laughs> a big exactly joke. Like, like, ah, you thought we were going to replace the character with a new character. 
just to wind up the the viewers. I mean, basically, yeah, actually, it does sound like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that for what she has to do in the film, I think she does it very nicely. I think there's a good bit of friction between her and Bond. It's exploring oh, yeah. something that they've never been able to explore before because he's retired. And what happens after he's away from the job for so long? Well, this is what happened. The world moves on. And it's. I, I think it's a really mm. good... Uh, yeah, well, just the fact um, that he topic. doesn't shagger is a, a, a huge leap forward, frankly. <laughs> well, they definitely tried to make him a one-woman Bond in this one, which is another one of those things where I'd be like, oh, it's all woke, and it's like, well... Well, it, ne- it needed to be for the ending, though, didn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. I don't know if audiences today... It's funny seeing <laughs> seeing people complain, who are certainly on the more conservative end of the political scale, about... Bond not being about Bond being monogamous, and it's quite like a oh, it's really so you support polygamy, <laughs> you're, you're okay with that. It's just an interesting thing that people ruffle their feathers about. Uh, Bond is dead, uh, a new Bond will come up in his place, but who will mm. it be, Calvin? Uh, I think it's probably going to be someone who's not even really in the conversation yet. Uh, much like how Daniel Craig, like no one really had him on the uh, top list of contenders, but I'm assuming yeah. that Bob. That's why I keep saying Rahul Kohli. No one's talking about Saul Harris. <laughs> I'll be on the set of James Bond in New York, 007 in New York, and then I'll come out and I'll go uh, shaken or stirred. To be honest, I'm happy with either. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> they're going in a new direction. Uh, woke Bond, woke Bond. Yeah, there'll be a lot of complaints about that. But then I'll go, look, right, you you were fine when I drank fucking Heineken, so get over yourselves. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Do you want to give it a rating out of ten? Um, yeah, I gave it an eight. Um, it's my only eight of the year, that's why I was saying it's, I think it's my top film of the year, I guess. Uh, I think I've said before that I don't really like rating Bond films, because for me they exist in a separate space to other films. Uh... uh, uh... Is that your Billie Eilish impression? <laughs> <laughs> I probably would go eight as well, because when I look at the films that I've seen this year, like, I did prefer Candyman, I did prefer Encanto, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's got to be an eight, a seven would be too low, though it is on that cusp. Well, uh, I don't want Bond to be our highest rated film of the year, so I'm going to give it a one out of ten, even though I'm going to tank the score. No, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, just kidding. Bond fans, don't worry, I've not seen it. Uh, sounds like... Ooh. Well, that, that certainly did not encompass our entire conversation, because we talked a long time about No Time to Die. I, I had a lot more to say than you just heard there. Me too. Mm. Even though I... Yeah, amazing. Wow. So, that was that was the films of the year. Um, but we <sighs> still... We still have a quiz to, to wrap up. Do you want to hear my... Uh, I do this most years. Do you want to hear my top ten of the year as it stands? Pre-Oscars. Oh, yes! It usually changes. Uh, Go on, then. Number ten. West Side Story. Ooh. Oh, hmm. I'll tell you what, right? West Side Story, the level of filmmaking quality on show in that film is astonishing. It is like Steven Spielberg firing at his peak. It's the most I felt he's actually cared about something he's made since like Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. It's just such a shame that he put that effort on source material that wasn't a bit better than West Side Story. 
Yeah. There's like there's like three good songs. It's all right. Number nine. I, they they're really insisting that this is a movie. I don't really buy it, but I'll put it here anyway. <laughs> South Park post COVID, the return of COVID. One of their little TV movies oh. they did this year. Uh, it's really just a glorified extra length episode of the show. But it was very good. I'm always amazed at how they managed to find little, you know, ways to stay fresh. Uh, number eight for me, Last Night in Soho. Quite a divisive film. I, I loved it. One of my favorite Edgar Wright movies, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven, The Suicide Squad. Ooh. Everything I wanted Guardians of the Galaxy to be, and it wasn't. Oh, interesting. Uh, number six, Free Guy, which I really wasn't expecting to like as much as I did, but it, it felt I'm a lot I'm really more... surprised at that, God. Yeah, well, I was expecting like a kind of Men in Black, Ghostbusters kind of comedy, and it was a lot more akin to things like The Truman Show, I thought. You know, it, was just, it had a little bit more brain behind it than I was expecting. Not that it's, you know, incredibly intelligent or anything, but um, no, I enjoyed it. Uh, number five for me, Encanto. Spoken about that. Number four, Bo Burnham Inside, which, I mean, is it a movie? Is it a... a no, not really, but if uh, Eddie Murphy Delirious or whatever counts as a, a, what they call it, a concert movie, then so does this. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Candyman. Number two, Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk action movie, uh, yeah. which was... Re- I, I, it's so great. You should check it out. It's really good fun. Number one, Spider-Man No Way Home. Glorious, glorious uh, closure to a film series that kind of got abruptly aborted that meant quite a lot to me, uh, formative. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Not a great year for film, is it, really? (laughs) That's your top ten, so. Two of them aren't films. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. Music quiz. Should we we rattle off our quiz? Yeah. All right, this last round is Song Covers. So um, these are all covers of songs that already existed, uh, recorded for films from this year. Okay. Uh, and of course, film and TV. Point for the song, point for the new artist. Maybe I'll give you a point for the original artist if I'm feeling generous, and a point for the film. Okay. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living devil may care. I'm just the devil with love to spare, so Viva Las Vegas! <laughs> Alan? Yes, Alan, go on. Well, it's Viva Las Vegas. Okay. By Elvis. It is. It sounded like Richard Cheese, I don't know. <laughs> it is Richard Cheese. Oh, really? Okay, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Richard Cheese and Alison Crow, actually, but she hasn't kicked in in this clip yet. It's just Richard Cheese in the clip. So, yeah, no, I mean, well done. Just, uh, I don't know uh, and- what it's been used in, some sort of comedy set in Las Vegas, I guess. Well, I kind of. I don't think that the people involved would consider it a comedy, um, but it arguably is. We we have discussed Richard Cheese being used in a film uh, on this podcast before. This was something of a something of a follow-up to that. Uh, this is from Zack Snyder's Netflix movie, baffling Netflix movie, Army of the Dead. Uh. Baffling on multiple levels, but... One of the better films he's made in, well, in his career, I guess. <laughs> Him operating at kind of the right level, I think, for his abilities and sensibilities. But yeah, well, no, well done, Ellen. Three points, sir. Uh-huh. Catching up with you there, Calvin. Calvin, you are currently on nine points. Alan is now on six. Oh. All right, next one. Oh, 
Oh, buzz. Carbon's buzzing. Is it? Is it from Cruella? Uh, correct. It is from Cruella. Yes. Yes. Um, I, but I don't know the song. Alan, do you do you want to take a stab at the song here? I I know it. Yeah, I recognise it. Um, can I hear the rest of it? Hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do. It does seem familiar, but I can't place it. Well, it is. Uh, it's "I Wanna Be Your Dog," originally by Iggy Pop, covered by yeah. John McCrea, inexplicably for Cruella, who was the film's composer. Uh, I think they blew their budget on the incessant amounts of uh, classics from the sixties, seventies, eighties throughout that film. So I don't know. Could they? Could Iggy Pop? not sign off on it could could they not afford it uh but no it is it's the hilarious moment in cruella where emma stone basically performs that song seemingly unaware that it is of course about uh wanting to have anal sex wanting to be a power bottom um Mm. because it's got dog in the title and you know that's the level these films are working on they don't really (laughs) you know it's like where where they all escape and they play who let the dogs out yep <laughs> um anyway. All right, next one. Send the man to the lady. Oh, buzz, buzz. Yes. Go on, Alan. That is definitely electric six. Oh well done, and of course electric six are worth three points, as we know. Um, <laughs> <sighs> That is a long-standing rule in these quizzes. <laughs> I don't know anything else about. It. I don't no. recognise the song. Is it no. Jimi Hendrix? No. Um, I I might as well tell you now because I don't think either of you are gonna. Unless you object, Calvin, I don't think either of you are gonna know this one. No. Uh, that is the wonderful song "Hey" by Pixies. Um, classic, classic Pixies song. Of course, performed by Electric Six there on their. 2021 live stream show from the start of the year when things were still locked down called Mood is Improving, named named after their song Mood is Improving. I did say film or TV, remember, Alan? Uh, I think it falls into that category, broadly. (laughs) Even you're not confident about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a concert film! Alright, next one. Alan is on nine points, Calvin is on ten. Oh, is this from West Side Story? Well done, Calvin. Oh, yeah. He's oh, I it. just heard yeah. it kicking in there. Yeah, the song. That I know is, what the song uh, is. That's the best song from the original West Side Story, being completely whiffed by Steven Spielberg. Um, really dropping the ball on, on that sequence. Didn't play very well mm. at all, if you ask me. It's odd, because most of the songs are a lot better in the version, but uh, not the wonderful quintet. Quintet from West Side Story. All right, one more now. The decider, Alan, you are on nine points. Calvin is yeah. on eleven, so it could all Easy. it could all turn around here. But resting in my 
Billie Eilish? Uh, I'm afraid not, Alan. No. Any any American sounding kind of breathless singer is Billie Eilish now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I've no idea what she actually sounds like. Well, I, that is better than when you thought she was like a little chav from an estate in London. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, that's what I'm, I'm learning now. <laughs> it's more accurate. <laughs> Would you like to know the original artist? That might uh, it might give you a hint. It probably won't. Okay. Well, that song was uh, it was originally it's a song called "You're My World" originally by Cilla Black, a Laura Laura. Oh, Laura Laura, Laura Laura love. Oh, rock so cute, but an orange Laura Laura rock so cute. So I know I don't know what that is. I'm afraid uh, that was from last night in Soho. It was Anya Taylor Joy performing yeah. it. Oh, huh. So uh, you know what this means? I win. How how do you feel? I feel great. I feel so excited. Thank you for this moment. What are you going to do now? Uh, do I get a prize? No. Oh. Uh, I guess I'll brag about it to Ellen a bit for a while. <laughs> now you can move on to the regional finals. Yes. <laughs> wow, what a year it's been, eh? Uh... I would like to say it's, you know, things are looking more positive, more upbeat, moving forward. But uh, right at the end of the year, it all kind of went back to shit again. So who knows? I've been all right. Mm. I, I've I been had a nice holiday. I saw a volcano. Mm. Anyway, there you go. See you around, Bond fans. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. The review of 2021 is done. We are now moving into 2022. We hope you've enjoyed this truncated version of our reviews of films. And if you'd like to hear the full episodes, then you'll have to go to our Patreon. patreon.com forward slash dim returns. And for just £3 a month, what a bargain. Uh, theoretically, as soon as a film comes out and we get to see it, we will put the review out uh, as soon as we can. Plus all sorts of other extra bonus content on there and access to the Discord where we chat amongst ourselves and talk about films and things. So do go and join in if you're a fan of the show. And for everyone who has been supporting us throughout 2021, and indeed from before then, thank you very much, and we hope you have a lovely 2022 as well. Bye!